Welcome to Quantum Journeys, a podcast where we explore the fascinating intersections of neuroscience, hypnosis, quantum physics, and the metaphysical. In this mind-bending journey, we will delve into the depths of the human mind, exploring the extraordinary abilities that lie dormant within each of us. We'll uncover the hidden connections between our thoughts, our emotions, and our created realities, and discover how to harness these connections to alchemize a life of abundance, joy, and fulfillment. Um, but we were talking about shaman and shamanism. And this is also a problematic term. And this is one that you are far more familiar with than I am. So I would like to ask you to just like, you know, give us your take on that. Sure. So um, shamanism, you could say what I do is shamanism. Absolutely. In fact, I mm -hmm. might describe it as th that in some context, be only because uh, shamanism is an understood term in right. modern Western North American culture. I personally would not call myself a shaman and I would encourage people to be very careful of individuals who label themselves as shaman. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some reasons why. First, the word shaman is a complete misrepresentation or misunderstanding of the word saman, which comes from the Tungus people of Siberia. So it's ah. referring to one spirit tradition. Okay. One Kurandero tradition, if we're going to mix up terms in any way. But anthropologists, when they started encountering these communities in Siberia and started uh, documenting the rituals and the spirit work that these shaman were doing, they took that term and then applied it across the board, regardless of geographical context, regardless of cultural context. And now mm -hmm. it's like this ubiquitous term. Right. You find it everywhere. You can find it in the UK. You can find it in South America. You can find it in North America. You can, yeah, it's everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and so I don't really even know what it means anymore, yeah. uh, which is part of why I don't use it, because I do feel like there is an element of cultural appropriation, but because I'm not even aware of what culture it is that we're appropriating it from i just don't use the term yeah it, it's the siberian the, the right. siberian which i only just discovered today so thank you jess you're welcome it, it may also the sami people of scandinavia may also use a similar no, I guess, term no. i think mm -hmm. i read that recently but i'm not 100 so somebody can fact check me on that mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very very contextualized to arctic europe but now it's used everywhere, which I guess is better than the term witch doctor, which got applied a lot to the South Pacific as well as Sub-Saharan Africa. Right. Which, which is, was a term that was applied to them as opposed to one that they embraced themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it's, a, when it, like, when it's the oppressor that's doing it, 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 it hits a little different. Yeah. So like yeah. shaman is a nicer term, um, but it's still problematic. Uh, and if we take the problematic side of it, like just put that to one side. Mm -hmm. The reason why I say beware of people who call themselves shaman is because there is a phenomenon in North America, particularly where people are self-professed, -prof self self-proclaimed shamans. They haven't trained with anybody. They haven't gone through initiations. Uh, I have gone through the initiations that uh, I could call myself initiated as a Paco. I don't typically do that because I don't feel experienced enough in the tradition to refer to myself as that. I'm not. Uh, I do the practices. I believe what's taught to me. I know it's efficacious. But any of these terms are traditionally placed on the individual by the community that they serve. 
So the community that they serve, once that community recognizes them as a shaman, then great, have at it. Right, yeah. Because yeah, that's like bestowed upon the person. Yeah, it, right. it's no longer an ego trip. Right, yeah. And it's, yeah, that's it is part of the reason why I don't use the term spirit and spiritual very often is because of the rampant ego trips of people who often use those. So, yeah. Yeah, we have to be very, very careful because in my experience, um, anytime ego gets involved, eventually the ego gets slapped down. So mm -hmm. why why invite trouble that isn't needed? Yeah. Uh, so there are genuine shaman or, mm -hmm. um, you know, depending on their community, whatever term is appropriate. Uh, and there are genuine people, effective practitioners who exist both in a, a traditional setting uh, you know, meaning more of the indigenous communities that have nurtured these traditions. And there are people who are genuine, who exist outside of them because they have been invited to share into the tradition. They've gone through initiation. Much like yourself. Yeah. Right. Uh, I know, especially in the psychedelic community, unfortunately, there is a trend of self-appointed shaman who will say, well, I was initiated by the medicine. Right. Yeah. There's a huge danger there. Uh, and the danger is, yes, initiation can come through medicine. However, it is not a one-time deal. You right, and there's nobody to sort of walk the path with that person, you know, saying like, I've been there, let me show you the ropes. It's not being passed down. It could be misinterpreted, grossly misinterpreted, depending on where that person is at with their own healing, right? So yeah. yeah, I see that as very problematic as well. Um, and, and you know, um, terms like guru, and honestly, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I'm going to say it, calling yourself a healer, I think also has some issues of, you know, yeah. that same problematic ego stuff. Um, I, I have been called a healer by people, but I don't identify as that. I identify as a catalyst and a facilitator of healing. You know, um, I open the conversation with the parts of the person that are resources for their healing. Yeah, I, I agree fully. And I, I do something similar. You're more likely to hear me refer to myself as a medicine worker because mm -hmm. I'm in service to the medicine. I'm in service to the spirit of the medicine. And it absolutely has a spirit. And I'm in service. I call myself a multidimensional consciousness wrangler. Oh, I like that. Because and I'll often wear my cowboy hat when I say it. Because <laughs> all I'm doing is just like wrangling, you know, the 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 conscious part of our, you know, my client, because that's who paid me, right? They want to get like XYZ out of it. And so as we're traversing the territory of their multidimensional consciousness, we want to at least try to get everything that we can of XYZ. We might end up in CDF for a little while though. But um anyway, yeah, multidimensional consciousness wrangler. So oh, and your term was so okay. I would say I'm, I'm a medicine worker and medicine I'm worker. a Mesa carrier. So Mesa, Mesa carrier. is the, the sacred altar that is present during all healing ceremonies. Okay. Uh, and to say I'm a Mesa carrier, even within the tradition that I'm in has certain connotations and I'm comfortable with those connotations because. And it's it, not something I'm me, familiar with. So yeah. Can you, can you share what those are, those connotations? Yeah, so the, the connotation is that I do work with the spirits, mm -hmm. that I do uh, engage in healing practices and ritual practices and magic. Um, hopefully, it has the connotation that I practice white magic, but there are some black magic practitioners um, in these traditions. That is a reality. And so what would you, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but because you brought it up, what's the difference in your words 
between black magic and white magic. I, I have a definition too, but let's just see where, if we meet somewhere. White uh, magic creates healing and freedom. Black magic creates harm and constriction. Okay. Yep. That's very similar. I, I see black magic as usurping other people's will. Yeah. Constriction. And white magic and powers. Yeah. Um, and I think that it happens on levels that uh, even the practitioner themselves might not realize that they're engaging in. Like, yes. Like they're those, those people that with the big egos that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, I've, I've witnessed people up on stage harvesting the energy of their audience for their own, like it's feeding them. I've witnessed yes. this. I've seen it. Um, and it's not that they're, they are somewhat usurping the will of the audience, but at the same time, the audience is also there on purpose. So there's like a, a you know, an active um, level of permission for this to be taken from them. But then the person on stage is not using it to empower the audience. They're just taking it. I would, right. so I would, I would consider that black magic, even if the person who's standing on stage doesn't even understand that they're doing that. I would tend to take the view more of what's the intention. Uh, if their intention is to take energy, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit more flexibility if somebody doesn't know that they're doing that. Um, but I mean, then we're getting into like gray areas. Right. <laughs> so who knows? You know, when I think- And there's, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, I mean, and maybe they, they're not doing it with the um, full understanding of what they're doing, but they do know that uh, it becomes something that they can't live without. Yeah, and so then, then you have this this vicious ego cycle, which mm -hmm. opens up all sorts of unwanted portals. Uh, and the cl more classical example of black magic that people don't know is black magic is love magic. Mm, because it's usurping Asking, the will of the yeah. person that you're ah yeah yeah trying to uh use magic in whatever form whether it's using doing spirit work or casting spells or burning candles or whatever uh to try and get someone to fall in love with the client right. or yourself that's black magic that takes yeah. away their that is in you know magical rape essentially yeah uh, so don't engage in love magic uh, love magic that is more about empowering yourself and like wanting to clear the way for a romance to come into your life. So non-specified, mm -hmm. that's white magic. Trying okay. to make somebody fall in love with you, that's black okay. magic. Right. So turning yourself into um, a healthier, more vibrant magnet, white magic. Yes. Trying to get somebody else to be magnetized to you, black magic. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yes. I We're totally in agreement. Simpatico, 100% of the way. Yes. Slightly different definitions, but it comes to the same the same concepts. Um, beautiful. So let's um, share with people how they can find you, and also you've got some um, some events coming up, right? So first of all, sacredmedicinejourneys.com. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's how they find you, and also your partner in all of this, Carlos Casados. Is that his name? Yes. That's yes. how you can okay. find me for the medicine work and the ritual work. Okay. Uh, you can also find us, uh, myself and my two wonderful co-trainers and partners in the hypnosis world, Sean and Sarah Carson, through the intelligenthypnotist.com. Okay, uh, I do have three courses coming up. Uh, the, the first course is a 10-week uh, Zoom course that is an introduction to, uh, and I'm, I'm going to put my foot, the foot in my mouth here because I haven't named the course yet. <laughs> <laughs> A 10-week introduction to shamanic practice, but basically we're going to be doing an in-depth exploration of rituals that you can do in your daily life, navigating the spirit world for beginners, yeah. uh, ritual protection, that type of stuff. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for anybody who wants to just explore this side in a like friendly, supportive environment um, where it, we're open and whatever tradition you come from or don't have, it's totally fine. Okay. Uh, so, the, so yeah, that sounds like a great, a great situation for people who are just kind of waking up to this and going like, wait, I feel pulled towards understanding these things a little more. What's up, what's going on with that? So that's beautiful. I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah, it's the course that I wish I had when I first started all this. Mm. Um, then I have a uh, two-day pre-conference at Hypnothoughts Live uh, called Creating Sacred Sessions, and I'm co-training this uh, with Sean Carson. And in this, re- this is for coaches and hypnosis practitioners, how you can begin to integrate sacred work into your coaching practice. So we're I like that. At dream work, divination, um, ritual, uh, understanding uh, clients through the tree of life and the tarot. Mm. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to be practical stuff that you can start to introduce into so your wait, practice. What, what day is that at HypnoThoughts? It is the Tuesday and Wednesday prior to HypnoThoughts. Okay, okay, good. So that may, I might be able to come then. Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure it's not like at the same day and time as my, my presentation. Okay, cool, cool. Um, cool. And then there was a third one. Yeah, and then we have a one-day post-conference the Monday after HypnoThoughts, and that is the Sacred Cannabis Journey that I am uh, co-leading with my wonderful partner, Carlos Casados. Uh, We will be diving into ritual work with cannabis and how to deepen your relationship with this sacred plant, and it is a sacred plant. It's been used as a medicinal herb for 5,000 years plus. Uh, and it's, this is going to be ideal for, first of all, anybody who has like never uh, touched cannabis, but is curious and doesn't want to do it alone because they've heard stories about people getting paranoid and stuff. Right. It's a great, uh, gentle, supportive entry. This is also really good for people who may be approaching cannabis from more of a party mindset, a recreational mindset, which is totally fine. Like no judgment there. Uh, cannabis is a great tool for that stuff but wants to have also another option in their relationship with the sacred plant. Uh, and it will be experiential. Ah, yes. Well, we all know what that means. Um, and I won't be there for that one because I grew up with cannabis in my life, all of the grownups. And um, when I started using it, using consuming it um, myself as a teenager, I, it didn't ever sit well with me. And I, I had a whole conversation with it once. I was just high enough to talk to the consciousness of cannabis. And basically it said, we're not, we're not um, energetically meshed. I'm not the plant for you. And I was like, I kind of knew that. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for being available for the people that you are like, you know, um, in alignment with, but yeah. And maybe my energy frequency has changed since then. I don't know. Um, yeah, but know, ever it, since that happened, I was just like, okay, it's just not a thing for me. It, it may have changed. It may not have, it, you know, yeah. it might, it may just not be your thing. You know, it, I have, had it was very-, very friendly. It was very wise. It was almost playful. Uh, the consciousness of cannabis when I had that conversation. So, um, you know, more power to it. You know, I've, I've had I've cooked with it. I used to host dinner parties with it um, as a cannabis chef because mm. that's something that I, I I used to actually be a chef, and so I've been hired to do that a few times. But I couldn't eat the food that I was making. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I've had a very colorful relationship with cannabis. Um, I didn't like smoke my first joint until I was probably in my late twenties, um, mm. and I it didn't do anything. 
I didn't get high. I didn't feel it like nothing. So like, even now, if I smoke it, it doesn't do anything. I'll smoke Maybe it. Just not as many receptors. Maybe because I was raised with it constantly everywhere. Right. I just like got inundated. Yeah, <laughs> Too many no, receptors. No, I, I don't think it, it's neither kind of here nor there because it's different, different forms for different people. Right. Like right. I will smoke if I'm in a community setting where people are just to be social. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started working with edibles, which I definitely feel something on edibles, but the first several times. Oh, interesting that you feel that, but not when you smoke it. Okay. It's probably how the body processes it. Cause edibles right. are processed primarily through the liver. Yeah. Or through- um, but the first several times I had a really rough go at it. Like I had the only time I've ever had a panic attack ever in my life was like the second time I had an edible. Interesting. And I had to talk. But myself- you've made friends with it now. I, because I've maybe I should come to this one then because I it's not that I'm not friendly with it it's more just like we decided that we're just not meant for each other but I don't know I'm gonna be there till Tuesday so you said it's on Monday yeah it's on Monday you know Mm -hmm. check it with yourself and go with whichever feels congruent with you I was tested I was determined I wanted to like it and I can't say like that for me, it's particularly recreational, maybe at like a really low dose, it's recreational. But now I really like it because for me, if I take a 10 milligram uh, gummy, it's psychedelic. Mm-hmm. It's a quick way to have a short trip before right. I go to sleep. And then I sleep really well. Uh, but yeah. it was once I understood what the energy of that medicine was, then I could see how I was engaging with it in the past that was creating the problems. It wasn't ah, the it was what I internally was bringing to it. Gotcha. I needed to learn how to dance with it. So in, in um, Oh, I like that. I like that. That's a good in the Quechua tradition, we describe relationships as taking two forms. You can either dance in the relationship or you fight. Hmm. That, that's it. You're either dancing or you're fighting. And it's always shifting. So even with uh, genuine psychedelics, sometimes I have to check in with myself. Am I dancing or am I fighting? And then once you understand where you are in that dynamic, it becomes really easy to turn it back into. Now all I can see in my head is um, people doing Muay Thai, which is like a dance fight. (laughs) I'm just seeing that like, yeah, anyway, um, the choreography of the battle. (laughs) I think that's a beautiful metaphor for it. Yeah. Uh, So once I learned to dance with it now, even now, like there might be a time when like I have something going on, like I had some... I had an edible the other night and it was coming off of a, a, another medicine journey and I wasn't feeling so great. I took it because I wanted to sleep. And all of a sudden, like all this anxiety came up and it was like, well, wait a minute. Is this stuff, this paranoid stuff I'm telling myself in my head, is this real or is this because I was really tense when I entered this relationship? Mm-hmm. As I was tense, I decided to yeah. engage with this relationship. And so does I, it seem to I, amplify whatever you're already sort of emotionally focused on? Yeah. So mm-hmm. any psychedelic, and I would put cannabis in certain forms as a psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of research on this. And yes, it both it is and it is not a psychedelic, depending on dose, individual and form, mm-hmm. which is really cool and interesting. Yeah. Uh, like all psychedelics, psychedelics are amplifiers. What you bring into that journey becomes big. Right, right. Which is so why we, some people would have a bad trip, whereas other people would have a good one. Yeah. Right. Which right. is not, it's not a bad trip. Like I had, a, right. I had a fairly rough go in this last journey, but I wouldn't say it was bad because what is that showing me? That's showing me what, what are the things I'm bringing into this that are creating yeah. experience I don't want to have. 
Right. Because that is showing me the things in my inner life that I have to adjust. That's a really, I love, I love that perception of it. I've personally never had one, but I have a client who has and was absolutely terrified. He didn't unfortunately contact me while it was happening. I wish he had. Um, it was like a week later. Um, but, but yeah, that I, I, I wish I had thought to say that, you know, like whatever, I think I did say something like that, but it wasn't as eloquent as what you just, you know, how you put it. Um, but yeah, that it, it can be a way of sort of like bringing the, um, the, the guideposts up and saying like, Hey, here's the thing that you need to work on. Here's the energy that you're putting into this. Here's something to pay attention to. This is really important for anybody out there who journeys, whether with cannabis or mushrooms or ayahuasca or anything else. Uh, if you do it long enough, a bad trip's going to happen. Bad trip. It just is. Which and just it, means an uncomfortable temporary situation. Yeah. It just means an uncomfortable temporary situation. As long as you keep that in mind. Right. Uh, this is where some people, some irresponsible, immature people end up having issues with psychosis mm. uh, because they don't maintain that grounded view. They get lost in themselves. Right. Uh, if you keep in mind that, okay, I'm not having a good time. What can I do to change this? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's appropriate to dive into that and to explore like, okay, what is this pointing to? Like in, in the psychedelic space, it's a beautiful place to dive in. What is this pointing to that needs to be healed? Other times in the psychedelic space, you don't want to do that. It's just not, I don't really want to go there right now. So what can I do to divert my attention? Right. Oh, I can go do a ritual. I can take a bath. I can breathe. I um, find that staying somewhat objective about the experience can be helpful. Um, and, and it's been some time since I've uh, engaged yeah. in like anything deep, but I've been microdosing off and on for years. Objectivity um, becomes very difficult at higher end doses. Oh, okay. That's well, for me, I just noticed like when I was younger um, and I would take a psychedelic and I, and I, and I did frequently in high school, I might add, um, it, there were times when it felt like I was looking at myself in a mirror, but the mirror was cracked and I made the mistake of thinking that that's what I really looked like. Yeah. Yeah. But if I pulled myself out and got sort of an objective, you know, bird's eye view of things, I could see that, oh, it's a temporary, like almost an illusion. It's it's just a way for me to see um, how I view myself through a certain lens, but that's not the reality. That's just like a single lens of reality. It's not all a reality. So that's what I meant by objective. Yeah, curiosity too is really helpful. Oh, yes. I uh, When I was having my challenging journey the other night, I looked into the mirror and normally when I look in the mirror, like people always say, oh, you're gonna see bad stuff. Like I've never seen anything bad. Except for Friday night, I looked in the mirror, like half my face turned into like a demonic face and like one of my eyes was glowing. Whoa. And if I got sucked into that, like that would be terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And it would be really easy to believe all sorts of stuff about attachments and stuff that yeah, paranoid. When I, yeah. when I checked in with my body, I knew were not true. So I just stood there. I'm like, that's really curious. I wonder why I'm seeing that right now. I've never seen that before. Okay, well. I don't really feel like exploring this anymore. So I'm going to douse myself in uh, Agua de Florida and rat shake my rattle and call it a night. <laughs> so yeah, so having some of that perspective, I think is really, really useful. And for people who have had bad journeys, like for your client, you know, I had a really, really bad journey, like back several months ago, it was a high dose. And it the part of the problem was it was a a higher dose than I should have taken in the setting that I was in. Mm -hmm. and it just 
set the ball rolling. It was in a group setting, which I should should not have done that. But I didn't know because I was inexperienced with the particular medicine I was working with. Mm-hmm. I wasn't all that familiar with. And it really shook me. And I always held, held this belief that there's no bad trips. There's just unintegrated journeys, unlearned lessons. The next day, reflecting, I'm like, I don't see any beauty in this. I don't see what I could have possibly learned from this. This was a nightmare. Mm. After that, I don't see any beauty in this. After that, I don't see any beauty in this. And like, kept going. I kept kind of plugging at it, couldn't get at it, couldn't get at it. So I kind of set it aside. But I held in my mind that there is something to learn here. There's absolutely something to learn here. I don't know what it is yet. I can't unfold it yet. But right now, it feels like it was a bad journey but I'm going to be open. Sure enough, was it? Sorry, I'm trying to count the months later. It was like six months later. All of a sudden, on another journey with the same medicine, I knew exactly what had happened. Ah, It's like, oh, I get it. I totally understand. And I'm really glad I had had that experience. That was a really important experience to have. That wasn't a bad trip. That was a challenging one. And that was like learning life's lessons really the hard way. There was an easier way for me to learn that, but I'm stubborn. So it had Mm. to be that way. Uh, So I would say to anybody who has those moments of bad trips in their personal history, if you want to begin to reframe them, just ask yourself, okay, what was this pointing to about myself that if I really honestly examined that, I would be better for it? I would say that is true of, any uncomfortable or even painful situation we go through, not just in the psychedelic world, but with anything and everything. Um, I feel like we do ourselves a huge disservice when we uh, stamp a narrative on an experience and just say, well, that was traumatic and awful. Yeah. You know, sure. Go ahead. Acknowledge that it was traumatic, but what else? Be curious about it. What did it reveal to you? Were there any interesting triggers that came up that you could use as data points to further the research into your own psyche and why you do what you do or how you do that differently or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. Um, So, yeah, uh, I like that. I like that idea. Instead of just labeling it something, stamping it with that negative narrative, you know, and then and then just calling it good. Like, oh, well, forever in my forever and ever, it's just going to be a bad trip. Yeah, which is, it's a shame to do that because then you lose out on so much opportunity for growth Mm -hmm. and it sets aside to go back into more of the, like the woo-woo space. um, I think that diminishes the gift that the spirit of the medicine is giving you. And in some ways, and it is natural. Like I came out of that, I came out of that journey going, that that was a bad trip. I think that's kind of human nature. Well, and it's also human nature to want to avoid uncomfortable things and, you know, but if I really lean into pleasure and lean away from pain, right? So, yeah. But if I look at it, it's like, okay, the spirit of this medicine is bringing me a gift. How disrespectful to that gift and to that essence to label it as bad because I don't understand it yet. Yeah. It's that for me, that's not how I want to show up in the world, whether we're talking about the spirit world, the plant medicine world the human world, the animal world, that's not how I want to be present here in this reality. Right. And and you and I both know because of, you know, the nature of what we do as hypnotists, that it's 
there's always an opportunity to perceive things through a different lens, to reframe things, to have a different narrative. Um, or who is the the hypnotist that said it's never too late for a happy childhood? Oh, I, I like that. How it was. Yeah, but I mean, it's true, you know, um, and, and I'm living proof of that. I had some very sort of traumatizing events happen in my childhood. There's just no two ways about it. But looking back now, I know that those experiences, uh, once I did integrate and heal through them, and there's still a few out there that I'm working on, not exactly a finished product. I don't think I ever will be, but <laughs> um, but I have found the gifts at the other side of that trauma. And had I not experienced those events, I wouldn't have ever reached those gifts. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody go out and get yourself some trauma no. just to get some gifts. There's probably easier ways to find that wisdom. Maybe not faster, but easier, yeah. right? But um, but yeah, I absolutely adore who I am now. And had I not had those those experiences, I would not be who I am. I I, I love myself. Um, oh, I love you too. I really do. Oh, and I love You're you. Favorite cowgirl hypnotist. <laughs> <laughs> and you're my favorite medicine woman. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, yeah, I I totally agree. And I like yeah, don't go out looking for trauma. There are easier ways to learn. I'll yeah. say this about myself. And Again, maybe not faster, but easier. All the, the difficult experiences I've had, in particularly in the medicine space, and I've had a lot, is my own doing. Because I am so damn stubborn. That's what creates the problem. Uh, so learn from me. Find, But I love that you are able to thing. acknowledge that. Like you yeah. say, I'm so stubborn, but you also leave yourself open to altering your perception of things. Yes. Yeah. So what a, what a, what a lovely combination. Most stubborn people, they're like, this is the way it is. And that's all, that, that's it. Case closed. Right. But you're willing to like, go. Oh, maybe that's not the way it is. You might be stubborn, but you're still open. And I, that's a beautiful, lovely thing. I love that about you. Don't ever change. Don't go changing. Well, <laughs> well go changing, but don't change that. Well, as my dear friend, John Oberdorf says, all we are is changing. So we can't avoid that, but some That's stuff the one thing that we know for sure, right? The one yep. thing you can count on, the one thing that is consistent is that nothing will ever be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, consist the consistency of inconsistency. That's the one thing you can count on. Um, well, it's been lovely. And this is going to end up being a two-parter. So um, if you're listening to this part, this is part two, and you're going to want to go back and listen to part one so that all of this makes sense because we're building upon um, all of the concepts that we had discussed in the very first part of this podcast. Um, and I am just so tickled and honored to have you here. And I will make sure that we have all of the information for your upcoming events, as well as how people can reach out to you if they're interested in um, going on one of these sacred medicine journeys with you and Carlos. So thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and honor to share my passion and have such an in-depth conversation with you, especially since we're, we're like very much so on the same kind of field here. So this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. And I love that you were able to like, we kind of kept up with each other, even though we like went into all different directions. So yeah, the very fun conversation. I hope our audience can follow along too. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much and have a wonderful uh, rest of your week. And I'm sure that this will not be the last time that you're on this podcast. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much, my intrepid travelers. Did that last episode blow your mind? We journeyed deep into the intersection of quantum healing, the science of consciousness, 
hypnosis and the metaphysical. And let's just say reality isn't always quite what it seems, is it? But fear not, there is much more to come. This is only just the beginning. Quantum Journeys podcast is your passport to mind-bending adventures where we push the boundaries of what is possible. So stay curious, stay open, and remember the power to change everything lies right there within you. We'll meet again soon on the Quantum Frontier. This is Chris and Marie Bowman, your Quantum Journeys podcast host.